You're listening to a recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.sdrosecc.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're with the 3s and 4s class, thank you for worshiping with us. You guys are dismissed to your classes. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we will begin our time together this morning. And we will begin in verse 1. We're journeying through 1 Corinthians. Last week, Stephen Picard led us through the end of chapter 2. We had planned to go through verses 9 today, but we're only going to make it through verse 4, Lord willing. So we're going to make it through verses 1 through 4. So let's begin to read, and then let's pray for God to, to grant us understanding. Verse 1. But I, brothers, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let's let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians and for the journey you've taken us thus far through it. Lord, this text talks about really the miracle of the Christian life and what it should be, and I pray that you would do that miracle in this place this morning, that as our Heavenly Father, uh, you might teach your children and grow your children, and that we might hear your voice, and we might respond to it rightly, Lord. We pray, God, grow us in the truth this morning, not only in our belief of it, but in our application of it to our daily lives. We pray, God, I pray that you would remove me from this moment and speak through me, Father, despite all of my weaknesses and sinfulness and failures and immaturities, God, I pray that you would use uh, a broken vessel to do beautiful, wonderful things by the power of your word, By the power of your spirit, we pray all these things by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians, end of chapter 2, introduced us to really two categories of people that Paul describes at length. He describes the spiritual person, and he describes the natural person. The spiritual person most simply, is the one who believes the things that the Spirit of God reveals. 
In other words, they understand and they embrace the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Look back with me at chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says about these categories of people. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So if you are a, a Christian person in the room, you are by definition a spiritual person. You have the Spirit of God gifted to you to help you understand the things of God. To help you not only understand the things of God, but to help you explain the things of God to other people. The spiritual person, they accept and believe that they are a sinner. They believe that they need salvation and they believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to provide that salvation. The, the spiritual person believes what Paul summarizes in chapter 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Without believing the message about Jesus, that you're a sinner and that you need someone to come and to save you and forgive you. You need someone to take the penalty that, that you deserve to pay. Without you believing that message, the Bible says you are perishing. And without a miracle of the Holy Spirit, you will never believe it. But what about the other category of the person, the, the natural person, the natural person who doesn't have the Spirit, who doesn't understand the things of the Word? They reject the Word of the cross, reject Jesus as Lord, reject God's plan of salvation. They want to live their own lives apart from the Lordship of Jesus. Verse 14 of chapter 2 describes this person. A natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Two categories of people, very clear. Spiritual people are Christians. Unspiritual people are not Christians. Spiritual people understand the message of the cross and believe it. Unspiritual people do not. Spiritual people are being saved. Unspiritual people are perishing. It's a sobering reality to think of every single person in this room really fits in one of two categories. You are being saved by the grace of God because you've trusted Jesus. Or you are perishing forever because you trust yourself. Two categories of people. But what are we to make of the person who believes spiritual truths about the cross but is still living in a kind of worldly unspiritual way now i think it's to this category of person 
that Paul now turns his attention to. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. I brothers, but I brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, comma, as infants in Christ. Now, notice that Paul is not outright denying that the people in Corinth are actually Christian people. He calls them brothers because he believes, at least for now, he believes they have the same heavenly father. He believes you guys really have embraced the only message that saves. Jesus alone saves. But he doesn't just call them brothers. He calls them infants in Christ. Now remember, in Christ is the phrase he uses several times to describe the beauties of what it means to be a Christian. When you put faith in Jesus, you're someone who are now placed in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. This is the language he used. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul does not deny that these Corinthians, with all of their problems, he does not deny that they are in Christ by the grace of God through their acceptance and belief in the Lord Jesus that only Jesus saves. But he does clarify that they are babies in Christ. Truth number one is this that I think we see in this text. Every Christian starts out as a baby Christian. (laughs) Every Christian starts out as a baby Christian. He is introducing an analogy to help us understand what happens when someone puts their faith in Jesus rather than themselves. When someone places faith in Jesus, they are made spiritually alive. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, they are Eternally, totally forgiven, totally justified, totally set apart for the purpose of God, totally redeemed from sin and death and Satan to put faith in Jesus is to be positioned in Jesus forever on the basis of his work, not our works. We place faith in Jesus and he saves us from the penalty of our sin. But we are not immediately perfected in a way in this side of heaven, to where we don't sin anymore. We are saved from the consequences of our sin, but we still have a sin nature that is now waging war against who Jesus has made us to be. So when we place faith in Jesus, God begins in us what becomes our spiritual journey. Now, we've been promised that the end of this journey journey is eternal life based on the work of Jesus, not ours. But it does not change the fact that it begins a spiritual journey at which in the beginning we are spiritual babies. Born again, that's what the scripture says, right? When you put faith in Jesus, you're born again. You have a new life in Jesus. But you start out in the new life of Jesus as an infant. Yes, we're spiritually alive like we've never been before. 
Our spiritual heart is beating. We can love God for the first time. Our spiritual lungs are breathing. We can understand his word truly for the first time in our lives. But we can't crawl just yet. We can't walk just yet. We can't run in the freedom of the holiness and Christ-likeness we've been promised just yet. We've got a lot of growing to do. Paul describes the Corinthians as infants in Christ. Now, if you are a relatively new Christian in the room, this category should be somewhat encouraging to you. Because when you place in faith in Jesus, you might have been under the wrong assumption that as soon as you said, I'm following Jesus, that all of a sudden, all the struggles and trials and tribulations and weaknesses and, and sins that you struggled with would evaporate. And that wasn't the case. You came to faith in Jesus and it was like Satan turned on the heat, right? It's like you thought I was supposed to get easier and the second you put faith in Jesus, things got harder, because now you're not only trying to survive in this world, you're trying to fight the sinful beast that's within you. Used to, you just used to feed it and pet it, right? Now all of a sudden, it's an enemy, and it's angry you ain't feeding it anymore, right? So when you become a, a Christian, sometimes life gets harder, not easier. Everyone starts out on the journey as a spiritual infant. And this should be encouraging to you if you're a new Christian because you should be encouraged by the fact that the word seems to suggest you don't leapfrog into maturity on the day you place faith in Jesus. You begin a journey that you will forever, sort not forever, you will be journeying towards till the day you see Jesus face to face. So if you've been at that point, why am I still struggling with this? Be encouraged. The Bible says you will be struggling with this. In fact, it's the struggle that proves that you're a Christian. <laughs> it's, it's the desire for more. It's the desire for God more than the sinful desires that are now waging war in your heart that is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Do not be discouraged, beloved. We are all fighting sin. It is okay that you're still growing and learning. It's okay you're still struggling along the path of sanctification. Everyone is, including me, including every one of your pastors here or deacons here. Everyone is dealing with stuff and sin that we're fighting and we're seeking to grow. It would be silly to be frustrated with a one-year-old who cannot yet brush their own teeth or tie their own shoes. But at the same time, it also would be silly to accept as normal a 25-year-old or a 40-year-old who cannot brush their own teeth or tie their own shoes. Verse 1 assumes that every Christian starts out as a spiritual infant. Verses 1 and 2 also assume you shouldn't stay that way. You should not stay an infant in Christ. Verse 1, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, the, the phrase is meant to suggest he's surprised, he's flabbergasted, he's, this is concerning. Like, even now, after this much time has passed, even now, after... 
You've heard so much truth, even now after you've seen so much grace, even now after you've heard so many sermons. You are not yet ready. Truth number two, Christians should grow in spiritual maturity. The assumption of the phrase, even now, is that they should be ready by now. Baby Christians should not stay baby Christians. According to Paul, there is an obvious deficiency in their growth. There's a problem. There is something stunting the growth. If a baby does not grow the way that the baby should, your doctor begins to explore what may be causing the deficiency. What might be stunting the growth? Why is it they're not eating? Why is it they're not taking food? Why is it that they're not gaining weight? Something's wrong if no progress has been made. And according to Paul, these Corinthians have been Christians long enough to have, been, to have grown up some. They should be chewing on some meat by now, but they're, they're still sipping milk. Paul, Paul assumes that there should be this ongoing maturing happening in every Christian person, a growing that doesn't end until we actually see Jesus face to face and he makes us into what we will always be. For now, we're always growing into what we will forever be. Any progress we make spiritually is a progress that, that for eternity will not be undone. This is, this is our aim as Christians. This is the ongoing reality of Christian life and ministry. We've been born again through faith in Jesus. We're new creatures in him. And now all we want to do is grow up in Christ. And we want to help other people grow up in Christ. This is what we do as a church. This is our philosophy of ministry here at this church. What is it we're doing except trying to grow in Christ and help one another grow in Christ? To become what God promises they will be forever. Listen as Paul summarizes what the Christian ministry really is in local churches in Ephesians chapter 4. He says in Ephesians 4.11 that God gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Saints meaning set apart ones, that is the Christians, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. What is it we do as a church? This, this is what should happen. Even, even, even after the final benediction and we all stand up and we begin our conversations, there be, should be a swirl of conversations, a swirl of motivations in the way you relate to one another that sound like verse 15. We, we speak the truth in love. We are to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What, what does it mean to be a member of St. Rose Community Church? What is your ministry as a member of St. Rose Community Church? It's to grow in Jesus and help the other members grow, isn't it? 
to speak the truth in love, to feed them with the meat of God's word that will cause them to be strong on the day where the wind and the waves are large. This is what Jesus meant with the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples, right? We're helping each other mature so there's no longer any children among us being tossed to and fro by trial and temptation and false teaching. We're working to, to, uh, in the maturing of others that, that they might work in the maturing of others so that a that hundred years from now in St. Rose the gospel is preached. Now if there's not growth, right? If that's not happening... There has to be some kind of abnormality. If there's no progress, there has to be some kind of problem. If there has never been growth, then we need to pause and ask whether we are alive in the Lord, right? Alive things grow. If there's never been progress, we need to ask, are we born again? The Holy Spirit of God does not take up residence in a person's life to leave them exactly the way they were when he found them. Holy Spirit of God takes residence in a person's life to change them from the child of wrath that they were to the child of God that they now are. If there's no progress, then I think it's fair to ask, is the Spirit present in their lives? The Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive, but he then begins to make us spiritually mature over time. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Spirit saves us and by... All this leaves us with a question though. Um, What is the spiritual adult? What is maturity? What's the difference between sipping the proverbial, you think solid food is some sort of deep, mysterious, theological point that you've yet to discover and you need to dive more deeply into. But I want you to look at how he describes what the opposite of the spiritual maturity is, okay? What's the opposite in the text? Let's follow the argument that Paul is actually using here. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, For you are not ready for it, and even now, you're not ready. Now, why are they not ready? Why are you not ready for whatever the the meat is? For you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So according to Paul, the spiritually immature person is a fleshly person. In another parallel way, he describes them as acting merely human. So to be fleshly, to be acting merely human, suggests that they may have received the truths about the spirit of the cross of Jesus Christ, but they're still thinking and processing and acting according to the desires of their fleshly self. So they might know some true things, but those true things have not come to bear on how they think, act, speak, behave as Christian people. These kinds of people may likely find that they identify, relate to, and find an easier time befriending non-Christian people than Christian people. Because they do not live in the world or see the world through the lens of the gospel they say they believe in. 
They are influenced by the culture, but perhaps not the cross. They may believe the message of the cross is true, but they haven't learned that the cross of Jesus Christ has implications for literally every area of their lives. They have the message of the cross that saved them, but it's not translating to the message of the cross, which now guides them through every aspect of life. And how does Paul know this, that they're fleshly and they're acting in a human way and that they're immature Christians? Well, he just cites proof. Verse 3. There is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Paul knows that they are still sipping milk, particularly because of the way they relate to one another in the body of Christ. Do you see that? I've met some, some people that know a lot of what the seminary would call meat, but they're not spiritually mature people. Go to seminary. <laughs> You'll find people that know a lot of doctrines about the cross, but do not crucify themselves like the cross calls them to crucify. They're entertaining jealousy in Corinth over another. There's a kind of pride which elevates self, even, even wishes for the downfall of someone else. And, and this is all happening in Corinth, and it's the opposite of what the gospel teaches. What does the gospel teach us? Jesus humbled himself for the betterment of someone else. Corinthians are elevating themselves, hoping other people fall. So they might know true things about Jesus dying on the cross, but they don't know how to live a life that looks like Jesus dying on the cross, sacrificing self for the good of someone else. But their problem, it's not just jealousy, it's not just strife, they're symptoms to the deeper problem. And, and here's, here's the deeper problem, truth number three. Here's our final, uh, no, not our final truth, truth number three. Mature Christians know and apply the word of the cross. Mature Christians know and apply the word of the cross. Now, here's the real crux of the problem in the Corinth. The gospel message they say they believe has not impacted the way they see themselves, one another, or their purpose in life. You see, the deep things of God, the real deep things of God, they're not actually a move away from the cross of Jesus that you believed on day one, right? You don't come to believe Jesus died for me, even though I was a sinner and I deserve nothing of his grace, and he gave me grace. You don't learn that on day one, and then set that on the shelf as step one, and then move into level two, three, four, and five. No, no, no. The, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not the diving board that you leap from into a pool of deeper theological things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the pool, it's what you swim in, and it's what you go deeper into. The cross of Jesus Christ begins, you understand it on day one, but on day 1,001, you understand why it matters for you more, <laughs> how it changes you more, how it impacts the way that you relate to your spouse, how it impacts the way that you relate to your children, how it impacts the way you relate to the, your, your boss, how it impacts the way that you relate to your own pride and sin. And John Piper writes this about this text. He says, what then is the solid food? Notice that it's not something that takes more intellect to grasp. 
What it takes is less jealousy and strife, less pride and self-assertion. The solid food is not for smart people, it's for humble people. People who've stopped pursuing the pleasures of self-confidence and self-exaltation and self-determination. People who know, who now want only to boast in the Lord and give Him all the glory for whatever good there is in the world and in their lives. You see, the meat and potato of the message of the cross It's not necessarily some new insight. The meat of spiritual maturity in this text is a deep rootedness in the message of the cross that actually affects you and how you relate to one another and how you relate to your God. Through this word of the cross, you receive grace and the power to give grace. You receive forgiveness and the power to forgive. You receive love and the power to love. You, you understand the severity of sin and are empowered to fight sin as the enemy destroying you and your closest friends and family. It's the word that helps you understand and receive the promises and gives you the power to wait on those promises in joy. Through this word, you see how much God loves a lost and dying world, how serious the judgment will be for those who reject Jesus, and it's the message of the cross that drives you to share the truth, live on mission, go to the nations. It's not just a message that you believed at Vacation Bible School, and you signed a card, and you walked the aisle, and you did the thing. No, it's a message that becomes the central message of your very being and of your everyday life. Spiritual infants, they believe that Jesus was crucified for them, but the spiritual maturing begin to reflect the crucified life of Jesus and give that to others as well. For me, I often pray through our membership role and pray for different people and I think about where people are at spiritually on their journey because we're all at different places. And one of the clearest marks of maturity I think that we can see in the Bible is whether a person is pouring themselves out like Jesus poured themselves out for other people or whether a person is simply taking from everyone around them. Infants are consumers, aren't they? They take and take and take. They need to be fed. They need to be dressed. They need to be cleaned up. They cry for someone else to fix when they are uncomfortable. They don't contribute to the household, right? Babies give you nothing but cuteness, right? (laughs) They take from you everything, sleep and money included, right? But, but, the adult, the spiritually mature, they give. They can feed themselves, they can dress themselves, they contribute to the household, they they pour out for others even at great cost to themselves, and so it is with the spiritually mature. Mature Spiritual infants will consume the message of, cross, of the cross, and they're saved by it because it's grace. Spiritually mature people will pour the message of the cross out in everyday life. I mean, maybe you can see it in Hebrews 5. Look at Hebrews 5. It's a similar thing. Hebrews 5, 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. And he said, listen to what he says. Similar language to 1 Corinthians 3. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... 
You need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid foods for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Do you see how he understands maturity? Maturity is, is not just the consuming of the, cross, the cross's message, but the ability to distribute it in both word and deed. Mature Christians know and apply the word of the cross. But it's more than that. The cross becomes the central and guiding principle of their lives. I want you to look at our final verse for this morning, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 says this, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, we've seen already that one of the major problems in Corinth is that the people are dividing into factions based off of their allegiance to a human leader. 1 Corinthians 1.12, we were introduced to the real problem. Paul says this, it's a rhetorical question. He says, uh, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Those rhetorical questions to say this is ridiculous. Christ is supreme in everything. Your problem is that Christ is not supreme. That there are other things in your life that are dominating your thinking and your decision making and the way you see the world. There are other things that are leading you other than Jesus. Things you're giving allegiance to more than you're giving allegiance to Jesus. And this is our final truth for this morning. Truth number four. Mature Christians give allegiance to Christ alone. For the mature Christian, Jesus is not an option among many options. He's not the backup leader of our lives whom we call upon when we have no one else to call upon. He's not the one we serve as long as we don't have anything else going on. The spiritually mature person puts Christ at the center of all things. Following Jesus comes first. He comes before any leader, any family member, any friend, any job, any amount of money, any dream, any ambition, any desire, any sin, any relationship. He comes first. That's why Jesus walks up to men and he says, follow me. And they let go of everything else to follow Jesus because he's better than all the things that they held on to. The spiritually mature see the world through a heavenly lens and not a human one, an eternal lens and not a temporary one. They're always asking the question, not how can I please myself today, but rather how can I please my Lord today? The, the call to follow Jesus is a call to find a treasure better than anything else that world has to offer, to turn your eyes upon Jesus and to let that dominate your decision-making and your life. This, is what, this was Paul's life. He was, listen to how he just thought about his life. Acts 20, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to me if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Philippians, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Roman soldiers did not know what to do with this man. 
They say, we will beat you and throw you in prison. He says, praise the Lord, I will preach Jesus in there. Well, we will kill you. And he says, well, praise the Lord, I'll be with Jesus. And they say, well, man, what do we do with something that even death itself is not a motivator to keep him from serving his Lord Jesus? Philippians 3, verse 18, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, by any means possible that I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Now listen, he's speaking about his own journey in this, right? Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 15, listen. All of what he just described and how he thinks about his walk with Jesus. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. (laughs) If you're not there yet, but you have the Spirit of God, God will reveal that to you too. This is maturity, and man, I, I, this is how I want to live my life. I mean, I, I don't, as a person, I don't primarily want to be known as a good preacher or a good leader or even a good father or a good person. I want to be known as a Jesus follower. I want to be someone whose eyes are set on the prize of the upward calling of Jesus Christ more than my eyes are set on anything else this world has to offer. That's Paul's perspective, and here he's writing to some Corinthians who are bickering and quarreling and prioritizing temporary things, personal preferences, their own pride, like babies crying for milk, unable to enjoy the meat of the gospel every day. Paul writes, are you not being merely human? Church, let's not be merely human. Let's have something otherworldly about us, something spiritual about us, something supernatural about us, something Jesus-y about us that people are just weirded out by. Because they don't know what to do with us. Three takeaways for this morning's message. Three takeaways. Number one, accept that you have more growing to do. Number one, everybody in the room, me included, accept, just accept that you have more growing to do. No one's a grace graduate. No one has arrived. No one will be perfected on this side of heaven except right now you got some growing to do and that is okay. Repent of whatever arrogance or slothfulness that stunts your growth, that makes you believe that you, don't, that you have arrived at the pinnacle of Christ-likeness. Ask anybody else around you. They'll be able to point out why that's not true. Accept that you've got some growing to do. And, and, and look for people to point it out in you. Like, you should want people to say, hey, I, I've, I've noticed this sinful tendency in you. You should want that. Are you, are you in a place that you can receive that? Or are people afraid to tell you that? 
cultivate in you. I just listened to a podcast of a pastor that spoke off the cuff in a big conference, and he, and he, he, was, he was a little bit snide. He was a little bit, um, he came off a little bit arrogant, and another pastor in another state wrote him a letter and said, I don't think that what you said is reflective of your character, and, and I think, but I think it's a problem. And he immediately called that brother and said, you are so right, I am so sorry. And the reason that was possible was was because this brother, though he'd been a pastor for 25 years, though he got a doctorate from Cambridge in church history, knew he's got some growing to do. And was thankful, right, that someone came to him and helped him with that area. Number two, assess where you need to grow. So don't just accept that you got to do it. Let's Work into the habit of your spiritual life, self-assessment. It's encouraged in the Bible. It's the precursor between confession and repentance. You can't confess of something you don't know you're doing wrong. You can't repent of something you don't know that you're doing wrong. You have to take a long look at your life every once in a while and pray the kinds of prayers King David prays in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, right? Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the path and the way of everlasting. In what areas are you struggling to apply the message of the cross in your life? Where do you need to deepen your allegiance to Jesus rather than your allegiance to someone or something else? Number three, last one, aspire to more spiritual growth. Now, what do I mean by aspire? I mean long for it. I mean want it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean eat meat, Right? Don't be satisfied with sipping on the milk of spiritual infancy. Sanctification, it's a a gift of God for you. He's given you the Holy Spirit for your good. Growing in godliness is a good thing for you. There's joy in spiritual growth. There's peace in spiritual growth. There's eternal reward in spiritual growth. Don't be satisfied with less than what the God of heaven freely offers you in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't be satisfied for less because you feel like life's pretty comfortable right now. Steak is better than milk. Amen. Grow your appetite for the feast that God has made available to you. Don't be satisfied. Turn your eyes upon Jesus again and again and again until you see him face to face. So that Because here's the deal. Here's what God's doing. He is securing through your life Worship and glory for himself, right? Like, I want to be able to look at your life. I want to be able to look around while I worship and see, I remember. I just sit on the front row. I remember Carly when she was a high schooler. And I see what God has formed her to be today. And just by looking over her direction, I can worship God in a new way, in a fresh way, in a special way, because I've seen grace on display in the journey that God is taking her on. And that grace given results in glory given to the God who's leading her by his hand, step by step by step. This is what a church is. We all get front row seats to God's sanctifying work, taking each one of us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, having some down days and up days and down days and up days, all the way relying on only the Lord who takes us all the way to glory. And we get to worship through that journey together. That's what, that's what a church is. And so let's, let's pray. Let's turn our eyes to Jesus. Let's grow in godliness together.
Father, we thank you that you are a heavenly Father. Uh, that though we are infants, we are children, and we contribute nothing to the relationship, you love us, and you care for us, and, and you've loved us from before the foundation of the world. I mean, you, you, you set your love on us before we did anything good or bad. And so, Father, we thank you that you're a heavenly Father that is, that is committed to being glorified through us, in us, in the way that you change us. Little by little over time, in this life, and fully, and finally, in the next, God, we praise your holy name that, that you, God, are a God that, that did not crush us as enemies, but that you sent your son, Jesus, to be crushed on our behalf, that we might be adopted as children into a family where we can grow in godliness, God. We praise your holy name. We pray that we as a church, that you would help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and that the things of this world would grow strangely dim with every passing day, Father. Help us, God, to admit that we need to grow, to assess where we need to grow, to aspire to grow in godliness every day until the day we see you face to face. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for this analogy that helps us understand what the spiritual journey we're on is really like. And we pray, God, you help us to lean into the arms of our Heavenly Father as we worship even now. In Jesus' name, amen.